What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Before we get rolling, I just want to quickly shout out the three companies that are supporting this show. The first is CoinKite. You've probably heard of them. They are the makers of the Bitcoin, the gold standard Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card. Phenomenal device. If you're not taking custody of your Bitcoin, this is an excellent way to do so. And of course, if you're looking to round out a multi-signature scheme, it's compatible with several wallets to do just that. Lots of other fun products in the store if you're a Bitcoin enthusiast. I highly recommend you check them out. Go to coinkite.com to learn more. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, bullbitcoin.com is the place to do it. Go there, have a receive address ready, so generated from your cold card hardware wallet. Put it in in your buy order, and as soon as you buy Bitcoin, the exchange never holds your money. They send it directly to your own storage, your own address. And that means that they can never, you know, a fuck up or a rogue employee can never steal your Bitcoin it goes directly from your purchase order into your custody. If you want to maximize security and privacy, I think that's the way to do it. They are also the people behind BitcoinSupport.com. We all know people in our lives that are terrified of engaging with Bitcoin. Maybe they're interested, but they don't know how to get everything set up. That's what BitcoinSupport.com is for. They hold your hand, make sure you know how to buy it, secure it properly, and then you're off to the races. Check them out if you or someone in your life falls into that category. And finally, the Bitcoin 2022 conference, April 6th to the 9th in Miami. It's going to be a massive party celebrating this emerging culture and this emerging or this emergence of freedom in the world. And uh, there's going to be a lot of phenomenal speakers. Apparently, Nayib Bukele has another big announcement this year. And to top it all off, the Sound Money Fest is a big giant party for us all to get down with our homies and plebs. Steve Aoki and Logic are headlining. Dead Mouse is going to be performing. I'm sure it's going to be an awesome time. I can't wait. Uh, use the code RAPIDFIRE at checkout to get yourself 10% off. That's it. Enjoy. Let's do it. John, hello. Hey, man. How's it going? How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, man. Thanks for, thanks for jumping on the call. Looking forward to hearing more of your thoughts on all this. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like one of those things where, um, it, almost like Bitcoin, right? Like where you first start start to try to understand it, all you're looking for is someone to kind of have conversations, um, you know, about it with. And uh, this this kind of rabbit hole of how does Bitcoin and philosophy and kind of religion and worldviews intertwine is something that's just been burning and in, uh, <laughs> inside of me. And I, I figured I, I'd kind of start to put to pen to paper. And so that that's what I attempted to do. And, and actually I have a whole bunch more topics to explore kind of further down this rabbit hole, but uh, it's, a, it's a start. Yeah. Well, what I've realized after pretty much doing the same recently, and when I published that piece in December, yeah, so many new like little lines or paths open up and you're like god damn it now i gotta write about that and god damn it now i gotta write about that and there's so much that that opens up and simultaneously like you're trying to get your thoughts clear and that's part of the reason why we have these conversations and you know it it's such a it's somewhat of a painstaking process but it's so rewarding because when those insights come and you you really you you flesh them out in a way that really has like a concreteness to it 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 acts as a like another brick in the whatever structure you're building and so it's it's somewhat uh addictive in that in that sort of way but it's a it's a slow and meandering process addictive is the right word completely agree um by the way how do i pronounce your your first name it's uh Ruiz. 
Rowways. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I really, I enjoyed your article and I think what seems to be interesting to me is, as you say, I mean, I started this whole podcast because of that necessity to speak to people about the all consuming uh, thoughts I was having about Bitcoin and in rapid succession, those have developed into far more than just economics and money and, you know, the history of money and that kind of stuff. And it seems to be that's the case for a lot of us. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why many of us have been thinking and writing about these topics and issues. And what I find yeah. funny about them is, you know, whether it's at conferences or on these <clears throat> calls that I, I do with people, whether they're private or on the podcast, um, you know, we'll both, you know, either I or they or, or both of us will drop these sort of really far out notions about these connections we're seeing be between these previously thought to be disparate domains of yeah. wisdom or spirituality or philosophy and bring them together. And just the, the, uh, um, like how, how unshocking it is when we have these conversations and, you know, you'll, you'll, I'll, I'll put forward some of these, what seem to be very far out ideas. And the person I'm speaking to is usually kind of like, yeah, I've been thinking about the same thing. You know, I've been trying to <laughs> sort that out of my mind. And so, you know, I think I think there's something here, and um, I think so we, too. We may not. We I don't think we may never get to fully grasp it, right? I mean, if we're dealing with such topics of the utmost significance, perhaps that's it's it's forever. The journey is forever a part of it, and we 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 will never grasp fully. But it, it seems like a very worthwhile pursuit to at least try to get more clarity or get get a better grip on what what it is we're trying to uh, to grasp. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. I think uh, on the notion that, uh, you know, a lot of people are going through this. Um, one of the one of the people that is now becoming more popular in kind of the Bitcoin uh, influence circle uh, had reached out to, um, to to share to share this essay and kind of just get feedback. And before I published, and he was instrumental in helping me write it. Um, but one of the things that, you know, kind of having conversations about this after um, was that he had, and I, I'm not going to share the person just because I don't have permission, but he had very, um, he had very deep spiritual um, events, I'll call them, <laughs> um, coming out of his exploration of this. And I, I don't think it's random. I think, mm. you know, I, I think it, in, in a sense, this is why I love the, the phrase Bitcoin is, right? The truth is, right? And it what Bitcoin is amazing at doing is helping people who seek truth find it, right? Bitcoin exists and people who are getting it get it because they are seeking truth and they're seeking understanding and they're seeking wisdom and they're seeking um, making sense of, of the world in kind of an, un, uh, in an objective way, right? Where they're not throwing in their... Um, their biases and, and and clouding their judgment with things that they think that you know the world works in a certain way. Bitcoin just is doesn't care about your your views on it, right? And that's one of the most amazing things about it. But in the same way, people who who go through that journey and discover that and and learn to align themselves with objective truth also start to seek that objective truth elsewhere, which which is actually one of the reasons why I, I wanted to kind of tie Christianity with Bitcoin. You know, at the time, I, this is funny, I started to write this in, in, uh, in October 2020. 
long time ago, way before I published it. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I didn't give it as much time as, as uh, I should have at the time. And as I was getting ready to kind of push uh, publish, the book, Thank God for Bitcoin, came out. And I was thinking that, you know, I'd be the first one to kind of do kind of full cross-examination of, uh, of the subject of how Christianity and, and money and Bitcoin kind of intertwined. Then the book came out and uh, um, I was like, wow, okay, I better take a look at this book to make sure that, you know, I'm not saying anything that is uh, inappropriate or duplicating some, someone, something that someone figured out and, and taking credit for it. So, um, you know, got the book, credit completely aligned with it. But then I, I noticed the book was kind of more for a general audience and more for you know, people who are trying to um, look at Bitcoin from a Christian worldview and, and really kind of the mechanics of it and what it does for the world, which I think is, is really valuable. And I think it's going to be instrumental to a lot of people as they kind of go through this journey. What I wanted to do more of, though, is, is kind of focus more on kind of the, the, the teachings of Christianity from the Bible, really more for, you know, one of the things that I started to think about is, you know, when, and I'm, I'm actively involved in our church, right? When, when the priests in our church get around to this idea and start to think about, you know, we need to have some Bitcoin on, on, on balance. How will I explain it to them, right? They'll probably, they'll probably kind of put out some kind of survey to the congregants and ask, you know, who knows about this, who can help us? Um, and, and so I figured I kind of preemptively pre prepare that. And in, in so doing, I think it revealed to me, and that's the, you know, the advantage of putting pen to paper is it kind of reveals things to you as, as you kind of go through it. Um, but it, it, goes back to what is truth like what is what is reality and what is you know it, is it, it it's not subjective right i think people who kind of get get onto the, the bitcoin bandwagon if, if you will discover that there is there is such a thing as objective reality right and it's not just whatever we want reality to be and so if that's the case how does that tie into religion how does that tie into you know Christian faith. And, and a lot of what was published at the time when I started to write, like if you just Googled, you know, Bitcoin and Christianity or Bitcoin and the Bible, a lot of it is kind of this, you know, mainstream economist view of, you know, the, the nonsense that, you know, we, we hear about Bitcoin every day. And, and it's, um, it's unfortunate, um, but it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of a shallow understanding of, of the subject. And, it's, you know, it, it just mirrors kind of the low time preference of, of society in general, where no one is willing to like really dig in and do the work. And, uh, and that's one of the, the things that inspired me. Yeah. Well, I'd like to ask you about a bunch of those things, but I, I think I might know the person you're referring to, uh, but I, I, I will also not speculate right now, but it is interesting because it seems almost like there's some kind of like combinatorial explosion of wisdom or insight that, Bitcoin facilitates. And this bestows on some people such a profound alteration in their perspective or consciousness that they have something akin to what appears to be a spontaneous mystical experience as far as my own research on the subject is uh, concerned or contextualizes such an event. And, you know, that seems so absurd from, you know, the, an outside perspective, perhaps, but anyone who's spent enough time in the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you, you, I think even if, it still seems outlandish. I think you can appreciate that it brings together so many disparate fields of information and, ins and, a, and a change perspective and insights into all those fields and how they might converge that you, you might be able to see how they could converge so powerfully in one moment that it kind of overwhelms you temporarily and delivers something very abnormal or atypical from the perspective of you know normal waking consciousness. And from yeah. what I hear, this is not 
this this person that we're both seemingly referring to, or maybe we're referring to different people, because what I'm going to say is, it's not only this person who has had that kind of experience, there, there has been others. And so, you know, that's another real interesting data point, just to point to how unique and mysterious what's happening here really is that it's, it's having the type of effect that previously was exclusively the domain of, well, let's say, you know, spiritual, spirituality and religious experiences, uh, altered states of consciousness, however, they may be facilitated throughout the various traditions of the world since time immemorial, be it psychoactive plants, ordeal poisons, rhythmic dancing, drumming, you know, exhaustion, fasting, etc. Or, you know, near death experiences, that's another domain where these these things tend to happen. And so to put like, uh, Bitcoin epiphany sort of thing in that mix is really bizarre. And but what makes this pursuit of trying to understand why so much so uh, interesting? Um, you know, I, one of the things. First, I'll preface this by saying, like, you know, I, I don't ascribe to a uh, particular faith at the moment. So, like, I'll, I may ask some questions or come from an angle that I hope it doesn't seem disrespectful or anything like that, you know, when I prod and poke and question and stuff like that. Um, but it, it, it is interesting, as you say, like once people begin to realize that an absolute truth is possible, and I think many of us are coming around to the, the perception that Bitcoin represents a type of, of absolute truth. Now, it's not like absolute, absolute, like if an asteroid hit the earth and took out all the satellites, like Bitcoin is gonzo, right? So it's right. like there's, there's, there's a spectrum of absolute, perhaps, and that, that even kind of con contradicts the term, but you know, it's, it's more absolute than perhaps anything we've ever engaged with. Right. And that seems to open up the landscape or the possibility of not only the, the, the possibility that absolute truths might exist, but the value of them in, in, in terms of how you might use or align them to orient yourself, align with them to orient yourself most optimally or most properly in the world, something, something like that. And I think that's part of the reason, I'm, I'm sure there's many reasons, but part of the reason why the deeper you go down into Bitcoin, the more uh, salience people seem to feel, or at least openness to the ideas of traditional religious beliefs and spirituality seemingly focused on Christianity, though, though that may be a sociocultural and geographic, uh, in, there may be a, a geographic influence in that, um, to these ideas. And these are, these are things that I've been exploring in the podcast and obviously in that piece of writing. And, uh, you know, I, what I was hoping today, just to get your take on why that may be happening and, you know, you, whatever other thoughts you may have on, on the relationship between the two. Yeah. And so John, I, I want to just preface by saying thank you for kind of being open-minded to, uh, to think through this. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, I think, I, I think there, there is an objective truth. And I think, you know, I think it, if, and my belief is it's true, but if a, if a God exists, right. To, to borrow a phrase from, um, from sailor there is no second best right and in, in that um in that you know there can only be one right there can't be 
I think. It, it's hard to logically reason through an existence of multiple deities that have, you know, differing viewpoints on you know, certain matters, right? And, and what is right and what is wrong, for example. Um, and so I'm really glad that you're kind of going through, uh, I, I like that you prefaced, you know, your, your, your situation by saying that you currently don't ascribe to one worldview. And I think that's fair, but I think there is something to, you know, to, to your point that there, there is a data point here that's kind of driving people who are kind of going through this journey again, whether they were Christian or were atheists and kind of are going back to Christianity or finding Christianity for the first time um, or coming from other, um, other, you know, worldviews. Um, there's something to that. There's something to people who are objectively without uh, as much and as much as they can putting their subjectivity aside and their biases aside, kind of being funneled toward, towards Christianity. And, and, you know, again, this is still kind of early on. And I think people, people will kind of go through their own journeys and find it on, on their own. Um, but it's, it's, there's, I think there's an immense um, similarity to how people find Bitcoin. I'm, I'm Bitcoin class of 2017, right? I, I didn't know what Bitcoin was, thought I missed the boat, wanted to get in to make a quick buck, got into all kinds of, you know, altcoins and uh, that, that rabbit hole until thankfully at the time that I did, when I wanted to like figure out why is Bitcoin different, the book uh, by Saifedean, the Bitcoin standard was available and kind of helped me see why Bitcoin is different in kind of a very fundamental way that I think a lot of people, um, you know, end up, end up today finding. And that, you know, that is because I wanted to figure out why Bitcoin is different. That is because I wanted to do the work to understand. And then I think in a similar fashion, when people go down this journey of, okay, maybe a God does exist. Maybe my worldview of, you know, no objective truth isn't right. What is truth? What is reality? What is, what is our purpose on earth, right? Like, why are we here? What happens after we die? All these questions, when people start to seek them out and try to form an understanding, it takes proof of work, right? It, it's not, there, there is no, you know, one magic pill that all of a sudden people will have kind of a, a complete understanding of this and, and not that I do. Um, but I think that there is the, the similarity between going the bit down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and understanding what money is and what Bitcoin is and how it solves, you know, so many of the problems that we have in society today is a very similar journey to people discovering, I think, truth and, and what, what, at least what I think tr truth is and, and how the world, uh, how the world orients around that. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, I think one of the things that's important to recognize as well is that this phenomenon, if it actually is happening and we're not just kind of creating it by our own selection bias, uh, right. I think, it, I mean, it's obvious that it's more than just the emergence of Bitcoin, right? So a, a, another obvious influence here could be the work of Jordan Peterson over let's, well, the, the, his work over a lifetime, but his emergence in the culture over the last five years or so. And to say that his uh, way of investigating, particularly the Christian faith, has, I think, been very amenable to a lot of people that prior dismissed it uh, for a variety of reasons. And his way of uh, explaining it, or, or, or at least introducing a psychological, philosophical 
angle or just a perspective on it than people ha- that people hadn't heard before, I think has opened people's minds to make them more receptive to the potential validity of the ideas and values and truths and principles that are contained in that system of faith. And so like, so that's happening simultaneously to the emergence of Bitcoin, simultaneous to the emergence of the internet and the ubiquity and ease of transferring and sharing information. So there's many things happening. And that's actually one of the things that intrigues me a lot and, and why I've, I, I'm very uh, hesitant to conclude on anything right now, because I, I, I think it's a pretty easy case to make that we're at a time of like very great change on a lot of different, uh, you know, on a lot of different planes, you know, and one obvious one is that the world you, we have the, the ancient world in which in different places and times, all of these different uh, systems of spirituality emerged. And then many of them kind of um, coalesced into major ones in each different region. And now we have a globalized world, globally connected, instantaneously co- connected with access to all of these, these faiths. And that in conjunction with perhaps the modern nation state, the size of the state, the fiat system, all this kind of stuff has landed us in this place where seemingly we we've done a, we're doing away with religion that's been the critique of nietzsche and and many you know since the enlightenment let's say and uh i th- i guess what i'm trying to say is i think we're what's emerging for the first time is a global type of consciousness and a consciousness where we're aware of the entirety of the world and the entirety of the world's peoples and beliefs and history and and all of that kind of stuff and so how is that impacting our relationship to those things, those truths, those unseeable values and principles, for example. And I I would say probably a lot. And that's why this reshuffling and reframing is taking place. And also why these pursuits are so important, because I make the case in the piece that I wrote that, you know, it's such an arrogant position to take that like, you know, the default um, intellectual position today is, ha ha, I can't believe you would ascribe to something so naive and silly as an as a traditional uh, religious faith, and like and that gets cheered and clapped as you being some sort of like objective, highly rational, highly logical person. It's absurd. I mean, it's 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 the thing it displays more than anything is is arrogance and hubris and a failure to investigate these things properly. There's a tr- you know my perspective is that there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in many of them. There's a there's a very, there's an unavoidable reason why they've been central to every civilization that's ever existed on earth. And we Mm -hmm. shouldn't so carelessly dismiss them because we think for whatever reason, maybe our mastery of the the material world, let's say that we no longer, that there's no longer any value in the wisdom, you know, in in those pursuits in that religious enterprise. Um, And I think by and large, you, you know, you could make a strong case that some of the, you know, negative aspects of, broadly speaking, the global culture today is, is we've lost the connection or we've lost the respect for the wisdom and the yeah. truth contained in, in some of those, in, in those systems or, or in the very enterprise itself and the formalization of that enterprise into, you know, formal face, let's say. And I'll, I'll, I'll clue up this little rant uh, by saying this. We, you know, I often use the term throwing the baby out with the bathwater because it's obvious that institutions which are comprised of people 
are corruptible because those people are corruptible. But I think it's a mistake to say because the institutions have done, done wrong, because the institutions have been corrupted or corruptible, that the entire thing needs to be thrown out. And so what I think we're at is a stage in history where we have available to us all of those different systems and you know a lot of the history and the, the, the knowledge and the material uh, information about so much. And then we have introduced in this, this phenomenon of Bitcoin, this seemingly quasi absolute truth, but that's causing a reorientation of both us as individuals and our perspective and our systems of value, as well as how we interact in the world, economically speaking, and how we exchange value. And so I think we, it may be the case that something fairly novel is, being, is emerging here. And I want to be very careful not to conclude early that what's happening is, you know, the re-emergence of something that came before versus the emergence of something new, which may, which may be uh, a recapitulation of something that came before. It may be a combination of many things that came before with something new, yeah. you know, so th yeah. this is, this is my pursuit is trying to determine what's going on basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, this is make, make of this what you will. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence, but um, I, I, uh, I studied biology in college and one of the elective courses that I took was uh, a history class on the reformation. And about three days ago, so Monday or Tuesday, I'm going through some old things and I pulled up my class notes and started to kind of just dig through them um, just because I kind of, you know, enjoyed learning about the topic and just seeing what, you know, what happened. And again, I don't think this is a coincidence, but make of it what you will. The very first section, which I ended up randomly from, you know, a, a box of old notes going through was kind of the the period of time in the dark ages and the age of enlightenment that led to the reformation. And it's just like you said, the, you know, the, the, the time period where the world was at the time was very, um, pe people like to exercise power over other people and any human man-made um, entity group of people structure tends to be corruptible towards, you know, towards that um, until Bitcoin came around. And so the Catholic church at the time kind of ruled with an iron fist and it was one and the same with the government. And so, you know, things like Galileo proposing that the earth was in fact not at the center of the universe and the, the sun didn't rotate around the earth. While that was true, while that was scientifically valid, he was ridiculed. He was threatened. He was placed under house arrest, and and so you start to form like so the the existing structure of the world at the time, the the ruling class, if you will, the church being a big part of that, um, lost credibility, and the institution of the church lost credibility. And then you get to the you know the the French Revolution and how, you know, one of the interesting facts that I kind of read through was that that the highest death rate per capita during the French Revolution was that of the Catholic priests. And so people were tired of it, right? People were moving away from authority and autocratic behavior. And, you know, because of what the, you know, the, 
the Catholic Church at the time had done. Um, they kind of built God as kind of an evil dictator. But if you look at you know the entirety of history, it is where you know the time period where now is kind of the abnormal part, right? Where you know historically speaking, people had always believed in some kind of deity, God, let's call it, that. Um, was responsible for what we see in the world, was responsible for the good in the world, was responsible for creation, was responsible for the existence of man. And and that was, historically speaking, the norm. But then we get to this point in, in history where the pendulum swings so far away, where all of a sudden everything that is associated with... I just, where did I get cut off? Uh, like 10 seconds ago. Okay. Yeah, so it's talking about the pendulum, right, where, where the, you know, the church was seen as this evil um, institution because of its um, autocratic nature and because of um, the corruption that came with being in power and because of the reliance, and here's the other kind of parallel, because of the reliance on the people in the church and the teachers and, and the people who were actually educated from the church, their word became truth. And when you have kind of a loss in, 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 uh, in the ability to verify for yourself and you have to trust an authority and that authority being corruptible, you know, they, they're able to act out of evil. And, and so the entire worldview at the time had God kind of as an evil dictator out of, you know, people ruled out of fear and uh, that included the church and show so that, you know, you, you go through that history and the Catholic church was completely rejected, right? And, and Christianity along with it. And, exactly what you said it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. i don't think it's a coincidence that three days ago i randomly stumbled on this box of notes that i had there that that uh you know that got got into this but this you know this pendulum swinging in the complete opposite way was basically the view of, of atheism where you know the only way we can grow intellectually as, as a species and, and this is reasonable for the people at the time i don't blame them at all um was to remove god from the equation whereas historically the existence of god was you know, was a foundation in people's lives. Um, and so they literally created this uh, the statue. They called, I don't know if you know this, but they called her uh, the goddess of reason and basically paraded the goddess of reason, the statue that they made and took it to Notre, Notre Dame at the time. And they basically declared that only reason should be worshiped. And they burned Bibles. They, um, you know, there was images of Christians being hanged in forests and, uh, and you know, this, age of enlightenment was basically also known as the reign of terror where you know people had swung so hard the opposite way away from the institution of the church and christianity with it and, and the view of god um, because they viewed god as kind of a barrier to the truth and so you know the it, it's funny because you see this pendulum swinging the other way where basically the catholic church was people were frustrated with it and and rightfully so for so many years and because of the abuse of power, the people that were um, fighting back against that were then became themselves guilty of that same issue, right? Where you could only, you know, re like only reason is to be worshiped where, you know, it's, it's you turn reason into the God that you, so, you know, that you so despised and, you know, and, and you, you know, you do the same things that people that you were rebelling against were doing. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think what you're describing now and what you just described was basically the, the this pendulum swinging back, where you know, let's land it in the center here, and let's let's make sure that we don't repeat the you know the history of the past and and, and uh, move away from um, 
we we swung so far to the, to the opposite end where it's no longer rational, right? It's 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 a, you know, one one of the things that I also find interesting, right? Where uh, in the beginning journey of uh, of my learning of Bitcoin, um, and the, I listened to the um, Pompliano podcast for a while, and a lot of times the, at the end he would ask his uh, his listeners if they believe in the existence of aliens. And I think like nine out of 10 people would say yes. And I think it's, it's rational to think. And most people's argument is, you know, in, in the known universe and the not known universe, like what are the odds that we're the only um, life form that exists and that this is the only planet that, uh, that exists, you know, for every, for every grain of sand on earth, there's 10,000 stars. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, the possibility of existence of life forms outside of planet earth, outside of, you know, the Milky way is, it's it's preposterous thing. You back? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what's going on if it's you or it's me, but uh, you were saying it's preposterous to think. Yeah, it's preposterous to think that you know, in in the in all of the existing universe, that we're the only life form, and people are much more willing to think that now. But as soon as you kind of throw out the idea of, hey, maybe we can't comprehend through our senses what this living being that exists outside of our known universe is and you, you call that god and all of a sudden you kind of you're the illogical um person that you know that doesn't see reality and can't objectively um view things and i think that's there, there's danger in that right i think i think you know that we've we've gone so far the opposite end of the extreme where we've just completely removed god and and uh that you know that in itself becomes a religion and becomes a, um, a restricting worldview to kind of explain why, why we're here and, and what does that mean for us? Kind of yeah. Thing. Well, that's a, I think that's a valid point. And I, I think it may be the case that, and this is, I make this case in the, the piece of writing that I put out, you're always going to have a, something that you might as well deem a god in that it most orients your behavior and so to me the religious enterprise is trying to determine what the best thing to have orient your behavior is now if you ascribe to a a traditional faith perhaps you believe that question has already been answered and you say we we know the belief or the entity that that we should most subordinate ourselves to and that's what you do when you orient yourself by something if you say you know, the principle that I'm going to most orient myself by is love. It means you choose to defer, like uh, in, any, in any situation, you refer to that principle in order to determine right. your action. So in that way, you're yeah. subordinating, subordinating yourself to it. And so I think that, you know, that would be the claim of, of per, per, perhaps uh, traditional religious uh, beliefs. And I, I think the reason why I say, you know, everyone has a God, even if they don't admit it, is because there's, there's something that they're referring their behavior to in order to act at all. You need to, right? And a lot of time, maybe this will be unconscious, but even those people that, as you say, would, would completely, uh, you know, reject the idea that they're, they subordinate themselves to a higher power of any kind, but there's something internally happening where you're saying when confronted by any situation in life by which you know which you desire to or which compels your action you're referring to something internally and how to determine your action and right. you know that's why i think or i agree with you that 
even if you say you don't have a, re a religion, you probably have one. Now, is it actually reason or is it like some sort of egotism or is it the state? Like, I think the problem with doing away with the pursuit and the enterprise of broadly speaking religion, which, you know, a lot of people in the world today would, would probably think is a good thing is you avoid contending with and confronting the most important thing to confront. And the, the right. downside of that is as, as I think history shows, and as we're still learning today is very dangerous because then you're, you're, well, if you ignore the most important thing, then, you know, it, 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 logically speaking, bad things are, are going to happen. And, you know, e even for those people that I don't even find it very rational, because like if you say like logic and reason is paramount. OK, well, what are the limits of logic and reason? Where do they where do they wind up if you're you know, if you engage that fully, like where do, where does it end? And, you know, I, again, I make this assertion at the beginning of my piece, but I think the religious enterprise is basically just an extension of logic and reason. It's, it's still, it's, it's just another domain of inquiry that people are pursuing. It's not the same as uh, geometry. It's not the same as measuring things in the physical world, but it's still attempting to establish a relationship between oneself and something important something of value and it's trying to determine how best to mediate or establish that relationship seems very logical to me you know and the the, the point that i often yeah. make and you can tell me how you feel about this but um to me it seems very logical to say okay because a lot of these these types will often say the best way to determine a morality is is very kind of like biological you you act you observe the consequences and outcomes of action. And you do that over a long enough period of time and you're able to discern which actions lead to the quote unquote better outcomes. And maybe you say the right. best outcomes are the ones that are optimized for both the balance of individual and collective harmonies or flourishing, something like that. Hmm. And my, my re rebuttal to that is always, well, why do you think those, those behaviors and the principles and values that animate them or, 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 like uh, inspire them lead to the best outcomes. What does that say right. about the structure of, you know, the unseen structure that you're acting within? And to me, you know, so if to, to oversimplify this for the sake of discussion, but if we broadly say, you know, love and a, a recognition of, of the, you know, the, the, uh, the divinity of the other, you know, uh, other human beings is one of the most, one of the best values to be oriented by because of what it leads to in terms of success for individual and collective. Um, what does that say about the very structure of the world that fostered the development of the consciousness that is even able to perceive that value and principle? And right. to me, I mean, it's almost unavoidable that you would have to admit that it is what implanted that in you such that you could conform or align to it in that way. And like, yeah. what, what do we want to call that force? I'm happy if, if people want to call it God and then dig into how, how they might understand it better. Um, but I like, it seems, it seems very logical and rational and reasonable to me. So I, I don't think that reason and faith or spirituality 
are mutually exclusive. I guess the question that I want to put to you, because you were discussing about how the institutions, we were both discussing how the institutions can become corrupted and then that causes problems. Are the institutions required? You know, I know this is a, like an age old question in, in, in religious faith and as part of the Reformation and, 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 and in many different uh, religious traditions. But to me, and the, the, there's a great analog here in Bitcoin, right? Because to me, it's the institutions that end up corrupting the relationship, that end up inserting themselves in, the, in what should be a direct relationship of, uh, uh, between the individual and the ultimate value whether we're talking about Bitcoin or whether we're talking about something more fundamental. And uh, so, you know, is the institution the problem? And well, I guess that's the question. Yeah, I think there, there's, yeah, there's so many things that you were describing there that I, it, I want to kind of try to tie them all together. I think, sure. you know, I think that if you look at kind of, the beginning of history and, and let's put on the kind of the, the christian worldview for a second just to kind of examine it through that lens if, if i may um when you go back to kind of the old testament and, and the teachings of god's people in the old testament um they didn't have a king right god, god never kind of instilled a a structure where a certain group of people would be in charge of the rest um was actually the people, uh, you know, the people of Israel, the God's chosen people to, it was them that complained and said, Hey, all these first, first they asked for judges. And I don't know if you're familiar with kind of the history of, of the old Testament, but for like, they were, you know, God chose Abraham go kind of going back to, to the beginning of it. God chose Abraham and said, you know, I will, if you follow me, I will make your children like the, the stars in the sky and the sand of the earth. Here's what you have to do to follow me. Took him out of his his you know his home ground and took him to uh, a land that he showed him and said, "I will you know I will bless you for following me and, and for trusting in me." And Abraham's descendants were then God's people, and so they long you know fast forward through history, they um, they become slaves in Egypt, and and God frees them from slavery, and then they're kind of out roaming the desert looking for the promised land that God promised them. And they had no authority, right? Moses was um, their bridge between God and, and them. Um, and, and God gave them rules, right? The Ten Commandments are kind of rules, but there was no ruler, right? If, and if you think there's a, there's a parallel, parallel there, I think, to, to Bitcoin, where there's rules, here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do. And none of it was, you know, it was outrageous. They, they mostly knew and practiced those rules to begin with. But there was rules with no rulers. And it wasn't, you know, until fast forward through history again it wasn't until you know a couple of generations later that they first asked for judges like who like it's like you know they're like we need someone to judge among us and, and who's right and who's wrong in certain situations so they first asked for judges and then they said well all these other great peoples of the earth have kingdoms and they have kings and and so give us a king and and so it wasn't if you're following follow you know the christian story here it wasn't god that instituted um an institution for people to, you know, to to rule over them. It was the people's choice to pick for themselves an authority that would then rule and you know, kind of the, the rest the rest of history. But I think to your point um, on on kind of what the experiences that humans have, I think the we'll call it God, like a deity, the force, 
um, is best experienced. And I don't think it's outside of you know the realm of logic to say that even though we can't put numbers and measures on it, that we can't experience you know, the goodness that's in the world. And that can come in many different forms, right? That can come in kind of the pure experiences of mystical experiences, as you call them. That can come in just observing nature, right? You know, there's there's the worldview that, you know, as you're looking through the world and looking at all the different species of plants and animals and the fact that, you know, so much of our DNA is shared amongst so many different creatures. Um, and you could think, Okay, this could have happened over time slowly, et cetera. Or you can think that there is intelligence behind this and the patterns that repeat throughout is actually a sign of intelligence. And to dismiss one worldview based on, you know, saying that I can't observe it, therefore it can't exist is illogical, as you said. And I think it's it's uh, it com- it comes out of, you know, um, it, it, it's almost egotistical, right? To say that if I can't observe something that it doesn't exist. I mean, can you imagine if we had that view on, on let's say bacteria or microbes, you know, if we can't observe them, they, they can't exist, right? Like it, does, it just doesn't, it doesn't reason well. And, and so we can't, you know, come back to the point of historically speaking, the default worldview for whatever the reason was. And I think it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg of what came first. Like the, did humans, human beings over time that they create religion as a way like you said to kind of instill the highest form of morality and values across the generations and to kind of keep people um from destroying each other or did you know the humans believe in the existence of god because they knew god existed and therefore all the values that follow came from that i think I think it's a little bit of chicken or the egg. And I think that if you look at outside of, um, there's this, uh, I'm trying to find it. There's this uh, video of uh, this random viral video that came uh, came across uh, my Twitter feed a, a few months ago where there's an animal, I think it was an elephant, who is kind of just roaming around. I think it was in a zoo somewhere. And he sees a turtle that's upside down. On kind of on its back and it's flailing its arms and legs and not not sure what to do and you know the elephant doesn't benefit at all from helping the poor little uh turtle but it was standing there observing it and flips it over right and, you know tur- turtles and elephants aren't the same species there's no you know there there's no incentive for the elephant to help the turtle and like where does that come from where does goodness come from, right? If we think goodness is a default, if we think people are born um, where, you know, they have, there's kind of certain human characteristics that um, are innate, let's call them, where does that come from? And, you know, it, it, it couldn't necessarily be biology because as we observe, DNA is shared, very closely shared amongst many different species. And that's not necessarily the case for say, like a, a tiger or, a lion who's hungry and wants to, you know, to eat, right? If, if it's not, if it can't be explained, if we have no way of explaining it by just pure science, what we can observe, then why do we draw the conclusion that it can't be anything else that we can't observe? That's, that's illogical. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of parallels there. I think one more thing that I, I thought of as, uh, as you were talking is, um, 
the idea of the block size war and why that that was so significant and going back to institutions. What Bitcoin's, I think, defining characteristic is, is the ability to verify for yourself. And if you look again at history of, of the world, where you, and that, that's why, you know, small, small blocks are, are so crucial and, and why the ability to run your own node is so important. If you can't verify for yourself, you go back to where we were, where there is a tendency for out of our, you know, out of our, the limited world that we live in and out of our need for survival and out of the need for power and egotism, there's a tendency for people who become trusted, um, trusted third parties, the Catholic church, for example, to abuse that power. And where you have, you know, the tendency for centralization and the tendency for um, a group of people to control what you think and how you view the world and, and what is good and what isn't, um, that that is a I think that's a normal and, and, a, and a human a human behavior to you know where where power centralizes power corrupts and, and so I think there's a lot of parallels there as well between kind of the corruption of of you know the money supply and corruption of money as well as the corruption of what Christianity and what the belief in God you know more broadly what the belief in God is and so kind of institution institutionalized religions do is create this hierarchy and this power structure around what is God and what isn't. And, and you take away the power of the individual to verify for themselves what is right, what is true, what is what the experience of this uh, deity is. And you take that away and say, no, 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 forget your personal experiences, forget what you can verify and trust and, and, and you know, discover on your own. This is what it is. And I think that distinction you know, the distinction between and, and we, get, we tend to lump this together sometimes, right? the distinction between what is um, what is the, the worldview? What is the faith? What is the, um, the experience of God versus what we're told is the experience of God? And I think that that's a big, um, that's a big issue yeah. in, in modern religion anyway. I agree. And so a couple of things on that. One, I think it's a great analogy. And even before, like, let's say that that outsourcing of the verification to a third party even before the pitfalls of that inherent in that, like the, you know, that those people that are delegated that authority, they become right. corrupted over time and they, you know, get up to their own shenanigans and stuff like that. Even the act of delegating something so important, even before doing so leads to any sort of corruption, even that I think is, is the, is the biggest, uh, concern because you're you're no longer the one who's doing the mediating you're no one no longer the one who's doing the seeking you're no one longer the one who's doing the verifying you're the like you've just you've outsourced outsourced the thing of greatest import and of course because it is the greatest import it's inevitable that someone will use it against you or use it to their own ends at the expense of yours right and so i think that's why it's so important, whether we're talking about Bitcoin or whether we're talking about, you know, something like spirituality, your own seeking, verifying, mediating of the relationship between you and the thing or things of greatest value is, is paramount. It has to be you. Like you don't want to be outsourcing the relationship to the Absolutely. things of greatest value to anybody else. There is, there is no substitute for proof of work. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. Um, 
you know, and I want to dig into some of the um, uh, some of the things you said regarding uh, religion. You know, and and first, I agree. You know, this this will sound a bit. Um, I don't know how this will sound, but as you're saying, like you can look at a a flower, you can spend time in nature. And rather than just seeing like, you know, uh, somewhat inert biological processes taking place, you can see the majesty of interweaving patterns working in harmony together to generate something that, you know, if you're right, if you're in the right state of mind, or if you have the right perspective is literally like rapturous or awe inspiring. Right. And, and I'm okay, again, with, with framing that as kind of observing or participating in the majesty of the creator, the majesty of God, whatever force that is, you know, as you say, right. like there's just patterns within patterns, within patterns, within patterns, all the way down. And like, I, I'm you're like, something is ordering all of that, right? So right. there's a reason why right. it's a flower and not a pile of gray nothingness, you know, so whatever that is, I'm happy to revere and, and engage and participate in that. One of the things that I, find interesting about um you know we talked about what you said what came first the chicken or the egg and you know that's a tricky question uh, and i i mentioned this in in the piece of writing as well like i it may be the case that you have to take on faith that 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 force that orders things has a bias toward goodness and and maybe we like instead of us being separate and judging and observing that we're just elements of that goodness having an opportunity to express itself and maybe even become aware of itself and yeah. it seems obvious to me that uh at least as far as human beings are concerned that the degree to which we've developed and refined our ability to think and communicate and build and articulate and create uh allows us greater intimacy with that force right so in in my opinion science is not uh, antithetical to the notion of God. It's becoming more united or familiar with the mind of God, let's say, to use a fairly common right. term. And right. that's why, like, you know, we, we see, you know, the, the notions of, of God or spirituality of, you know, hunter-gatherers and cave paintings is very different right. than the notion of the early Christians and, and how that system of faith has developed, and probably very different than whatever is going to be prevailing 50,000 years from now. And I think the reason for that is that the landscape of meaning and the way we articulate things and how we construe, how we communicate and construe what we're thinking and how we create it into the world is constantly changing. And it's, an, it's a never-ending feedback loop. And so that's, we can't resist the process of things becoming, evolving or becoming more refined in our minds. And as a result of that, how we articulate and how we express them is going to be different. And so when I see different, you know, different faiths emerge throughout the world in different times, be it Taoism, Hinduism, uh, you know, all, you know, all the ancient religious faiths, I don't see tremendous fundamental differences. I see the, the conditions and context of different places and times, the languages available, the symbol, the symbols available to people, the, the cultures predominating at the time, the diets, all of that kind of the histories, all of that kind of stuff influencing how the, the notion of 
God, source, origin, absolute value, whatever you want to call it, is the filter through which that's being put. And mm. as a result, is it's, it's taking a different shape in a different place and time. Because to your point earlier, you're saying like, it, it, if it really is absolute, it's one or the other, it's not a multiplicity. But I, right. I think that the differences are in uh, typically a matter of expression, not kind necessarily. And so th this is why I'm receptive to the idea that there's a, a, well, perhaps we're participating in and perhaps we're involved in a current process during our time and likely, well, perhaps never ending of refining how that thing, how we, how we establish a relationship to that thing, because the benefit of doing that is, you know, to, to borrow a, a Christian term, building or manifesting the kingdom of God on earth by through our own actions, expressing those principles in ever greater high fidelity form into the world such that we, we may experience it in, in greater glory, right. let's say. And right, right, uh, right. yeah, so I'll throw it back over to you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, uh, there, there's something to be said about so many of, um, so many of the, you know, the ancient faiths, as, as you call them, um, expressing similar values i don't think that's random right i think that that's that's noteworthy right and if, if people who don't know each other geographically isolated came up with the same conclusions about how to let's, let's call it living morally and then how we should behave on earth um regardless of kind of what the afterlife might look like because there are differences there obviously um how we should behave now and in, in the present being oriented around the same values let's call them Think there's something there what are the odds that you know people geographically isolated with completely different belief systems with completely different um histories kind of land on the same set of you know more moral um values that is i think that's that's an interesting an interesting point i think the other um i think the other um example here that i think is is noteworthy is um gandhi has this famous quote and gandhi was uh, uh obviously Hindu, Hindu, to practice Hinduism. He says, if it weren't for Christians, I would be a Christian. In other words, he, he took the Bible, kind of studied it um, almost as a, um, an academic exercise and looked at the teachings that the Bible had. And he says, everything that is in this book is good, but the actions of the people who claim to be following this book don't um, don't reflect that, um, and so there is this. I think you know there's there's this. I think truth in that in that you know what is true, what is good, what is what what God is, what God intends for us is one thing. Then what we choose to do is a completely different thing. And if if it wasn't for if it wasn't for that dynamic, right? If, if it was, if we would automatically do what is good, right? If we look at it from kind of the, the prototypical evolutionist standpoint that, you know, this, you know, this ideology developed over time because it, you know, it allowed for people to be the most, um, the most able to survive and, and kind of keep, keep their offspring alive and keep going, right? Where people kind of, choose to um, work together for the greater good. 
and kind of the lack of it, a sociological view of, of evolution is how, how these values came about. And if you compare that with, um, you know, if, it, if, if we didn't have a choice to be good and to do good and to live according to a specific set of values, if that choice wasn't there, if it was evolutionarily predispositioned, I think that takes away the notion of, of you know, of freedom, free will. And without, I think it goes back to that, right? If we don't have a dichotomy, if we don't have a choice, if there is no, if there is no evil, there can't be good, right? Like the existence of evil is measured by the existence of good. And that is, I think that is above kind of the practice of religions and, and, and above, it, it's, it's almost a higher order value, right? We, we can't, we can't possibly be good if we don't have the choice to be good and we don't, if we don't have the choice to ascribe to a certain set of values, they're, they're not values at all, right? And I think in your point about, um, you know, as I was going through your article, in your point about um, the, the need for faith, I thought a lot about this and I, I don't know that I have my thoughts completely um, positioned and ready to kind of be discussed, but I think it's the other way around a little bit. What I mean by that is um, if it, how I can phrase this. If, if we make the assumption, like you say, that this entity, this, this higher value, this, uh, this being, this deity, God, um, has a tendency to be good, right? if we just call that a faith, right? does that take away from, it, it goes back to the point of, you know, can, can there be choice if that deity tends towards good? In other words, the existence of a deity at all, I think, precludes the ability of that deity to not be good. Does that, I don't know if you're following my thought there. Like if, if, if God exists, God has to be good. It's not a faith thing. I think the, the faith portion of it is more so can be attributed more to the existence of God. And I don't think it's a matter of faith at all, right? Because we talked about that. I think it's more logical than, than not that God exists. But if a God does exist, God has to be good. I don't think we have to make the, the you know, it's not a leap of faith, I think, to say that if God exists, he is, is good or he is goodness or that being is the, the you know, the supreme good. Um, that, that to me, I think is, is worth kind of picking out a little bit more because I think, you know, there's, it goes back to the chicken or the egg. And I think if we, if you believe that God exists, you can't believe that God exists and God is not all good based on everything that we see, right. Based on the existence of the world, the, you know, the, the solar systems, the, the, the good that is manifest in the world has to reflect its creator. Um, and I think, I think there's something deeper there that, um, you know, perhaps with more time we can we can dig around and, and, and tease it out a little bit more but i don't know yeah, what well, are your thoughts I'm, on that well i mean first of all we're dealing with some pretty uh you know large speculations and topics here so of course sure. th that is that is that is what we're doing um speculating i think you know if i'm hearing you correctly and this kind of lends itself to the way peterson had articulated some of his work and and perspectives is that you know, maybe not to make the distinction, like God is the force of good order, right? And therefore, like, it, it, it's not anything 
other than that. Like it, it, it is mm. the, the order, it is the force that produces order that is good, something like that. And mm. um, to your point about free will, I mean, I, I think, and, and also like whenever we have these conversations, I mean, even the use of the word God, like it, it's obviously so contentious and people have so many different uh, definitions around it. It makes, makes <laughs> these, these conversations you know, we have tried, we, we have, it makes them difficult and we have to, to, to appreciate that. But, um, sure. but I, I, you know, like, I think it can also be the, I mean, I don't think these two things are contradictory where you say, if, if that is the case, you still have free will. It's just that that goodness is the ultimate judge of your own. And, you know, you, you can either uh, align with it and experience quote unquote, positive judgment, good outcome, you know, let the force of God run, go through you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Or if you act in a contradictory manner to that, if you choose to act differently to that nature, then the outcomes that you experience are uh, undesirable or unpleasant or mm. counter to, to that thing. So, you know, I don't, is that... Were you, is that kind of speaks to the point you were making? I, I think so. I think, you know, I think that it, to your point, it's a, it's a complicated topic and it, it is, it is speculation in the sense that we can't, we can't know for sure in our current forums anyway, what, what, what that looks like on, on the other side and, and we can't measure it. Therefore we can't say objectively or definitively, this is the way it is, or this is the way it's not. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, I think that th there is, like, the, the existence of good and evil as distinct things, and those are, you know, whether they're moral or, um, yeah, whether they're objective or subjective, I think the existence of two distinct forces of good and evil, um, like, precludes the, precludes the, the possibility of a supreme good not existing. Um, I, I don't think I don't think that there could be good and evil if there wasn't a greater good. I think sure. I think I think it's it, it's a bit of a dichotomy, right? Like you can't have like if everything is is if there is no God, if there's no greater purpose to you know to life on Earth where we die and, and it's and it's done, right? There's no more John. There's no more Grace. There's there's nothing. Right? Come on Earth live on earth, you die, and all that is my existence, all that is your existence, all that is everybody's existence goes away. I think that can't exist if there is no, like, if there is no good, if, if good and evil don't exist, you can't have that. Yeah. And so it, it goes back to, like, the, the nature of, of the world and our life and, and what, is, what is meaning, what is, what is our purpose here on earth, what is, why are we here, where did we come from, where do we go? Like, if you believe in, in the existence of good and evil that means there has like there has to be there has to be a final like there has to be a final destiny you can't it can't just things can't just be i, I don't know how to mm. how, i don't know how to put it into words you know like the the idea that and it goes back i think again to, to the reformation and, and the, the the reason why people swung i think rightfully so the complete opposite way of the teachings of the church is you kind of get away from um, moral accountability and 
if there is no judgment, right? If there is no, um, if there is no consequence to the choices that we make here on earth, that becomes a much more, uh, it becomes a much easier thing to kind of structure your life around because then I don't have to worry about the consequences of my choices. But that is, if you kind of look at the laws of nature and Again, Seyfedean goes into great depth about this and an idea of, of time preference. But if you look at the laws of nature, every action has a reaction, an equal and opposite reaction. There is, there is no such thing as you know, a, a free lunch, right? You can't just make choices that don't add up to um, an outcome, right? Every, every choice that we make has a consequence. And this is observable in all of nature, not just in our human action. And so, you know, if, if we ascribe the notion that there is no existence of God or there's no existence of a deity or there is no moral accountability for the way that we choose to live, if all, if all the moral accountability that we have is just, you know, is just on earth here, then what's the point, right? Because in the long term, to borrow, to borrow a, a phrase from Keynes, right, in the long term, we're all dead, right? Like, so what, what does it matter? how we act here if all that it would translate into is just you know um earthly materialistic um outcomes it can't just be that we can't think that there is good and evil and think that all our actions will have their outcome in our lives it does it doesn't it doesn't compute because we would then all just live like animals right we would just be completely immoral and kind of each man for his own good and even if you subscribe to the notion that you know if you make good choices you'll have better outcomes as a, as a society as a whole yeah but <laughs> that notion that urge to just live in the moment live in the present low time preference will always win because there is no higher time preference because there is no moral accountability for how we act and and so i i think it's uh i think it you can you can reason away into the existence of God just by how things are and by the existence of just good and evil and and, and the you know the implications of that. See, my my take on what I think you're getting at is this: like it it appears to me that action is not even possible without an a priori value framework, because yeah. like you said, for every action is a reaction, and I, I agree with that. But you can't make a determination about taking any action, be it good or evil, without some kind of value framework to cause you to take that action, unless it's, yeah. you know, completely uh, unconscious instinct, let's say. But even then, I mean, there's possibly something that underlies that. But let's just say in the realm of, of right. human, human action, yeah. you yeah. need an a, an a priori value framework. And so the, the, what I put forward in my piece is, and I admittedly i need to probably write a full another piece to really flesh this point out but i kind of i make the assertion that consciousness requires a orienting value to function and yep. it may be the case or it seems to be the case to me that the very purpose of consciousness is to discover god because you need an orienting value for consciousness to function Right, that's the value that helps you determine action. That's the a priori value framework, and that's then Jordan, through Jordan's, uh, yeah, framework, he yeah, talk, yeah, he talks about this, yeah. and then through yeah. through your action, 
you're able to refine the value that's orienting your action in this constant recursive feedback loop, whereby you're continuously, if you're engaging in this process properly, continuously trying to discover the better and better and better value by which to orient your action by. And if we agree that like the, you know, God is kind of the op, the absolute highest value that the, the best thing to align yourself with for optimal outcome to use somewhat mundane language, yeah. then the, you know, the, the reason for consciousness to exist and the process by which it exists is to engage in that process of discovery of the highest value. And I, I think that's what has led to the religious enterprise. Now, maybe we all have different ways of engaging in that enterprise and that process differently. Some, you know, we've discussed the, the pitfalls of institutions and we've discussed the element of cultural and technological evolution in, in how that process is influenced. But to me, like, that's kind of the rub, like the, the, the purpose of, of self-consciousness is the discovery of quote unquote God. Right. Like that's what it is. And that's why it's the highest pursuit of that. And that's also why, in my opinion, it's the, it's the greatest reward from that, you know, and this is the thing that drives me to continue to pursue these conversations and these understandings, mm -hmm. because I'm like this, this might sound somewhat uh, silly or whatever, but like, I'm more and more able to feel the benefit of engaging in that process Right. And not like the benefit of ha having something material, you know, and that brings me happiness or whatever, but like the very process is, itself is what is sustaining is what is most fulfilling is what is most meaningful. And yeah. that's why I continue to do it because I can feel the value of, of it. And um, so, yeah, that that's, that's, I don't know if that speaks to the point you were trying to make, but it's certainly how I'm seeing things. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I think that's why I, I was drawn myself to Jordan Peterson's work um, because he orients it in a way where it's no longer about faith. It's more, it's, it's more of an objective thing, right? Where you, in orienting yourself to the highest value um, orientation, you are discovering what truth is. And again, going back to, you know, the, the overlap between where Bitcoin and, and, and this, you know, this philosophical conversation goes is in the same way where Bitcoin, like, like you were just saying, where you're drawn and fulfilled by the discovery of what, what this process and what this, um, this pursuit is leading us to. Isn't that exactly the parallel of people going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole? Like where you start to learn about Bitcoin, you kind of come for the gains, whatever, and start to, um, you know, dive into the rabbit hole and understand monetary history and economics and, you know, philosophy and all the things that are culturally wrong with the world today. And you, it, the process, it, it's almost self-fulfilling in the sense that the more that you learn, the more that you want to learn, the more that you, you know, you seek that truth. And that's why I think, I think it explains why we're having this conversation. I think it explains why so many people have gone from, you know, who have gone down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and understand it are starting to see the parallels in their um, in, in their discovery of, of this exploration of religion, we'll call it, or philosophy, or or worldviews, or the existence of God. I think it's it's one and the same because it because it's truth, right? because the, the the you know the seeking of truth 
becomes um, becomes the most fulfilling and the most meaningful thing that we can explore. And I think one of the things that um, you know caught my attention is actually one of the reasons that I messaged you on this to begin with was in your conversation with the first one with uh, with Laser Hoddle, where he explores the idea um, of the overlap between free will and money, where I think, and maybe this was you, it was a three hour conversation, forgive me if I'm getting the person wrong, but you know, it was uh, the idea that you could, if, you know, if, if God exists and if, if God is good and if God is everything that we as, you know, as Christians ascribe him to be, you get to the point where you have central bank digital currencies, kind of the great evil, where that restricts the freedom of choice, right? So, so, so far, God has been, I think, largely kind of uninvolved in, you know, human choices and, and our plundering of each other and all that. But if it gets to the point where, you know, with central bank digital currencies, the freedom to choose to do good or the freedom to choose to be good in spite of, um, in spite of, you know, being pushed in a certain way, if you, if you lose that freedom, if you lose that freedom of choice, if you don't have freedom of choice, you can't, you know, you, you have nothing, right? We can, we can, there's no free will. If you take away that free will, I think Laser, Laser, or you, or you were making that point. If you take away that free will, is that the point where, you know, God, let's call it, call him, comes in and says, no, 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 no. This is the point at which I will draw the line and not allow for, um, for humans to go down this, this path because then there is no choice because like, you take away that choice and then you, people can't make choices anymore. And I think there's something there and you know, it's, it's a crazy notion to have thought about, but I think the way that you guys framed it in that conversation, you know, crazy notion to think about as, as a, you know, as a, as a Christian, uh, I should say from, from my kind of worldview, um, because you know, God, God doesn't interfere in, in, in humanity anymore. It doesn't create things that we could like it doesn't anyway. So that, that's the reason why I'm calling it crazy. But I think, I think there's something there. I think, if we don't have free will, which is what central bank digital currencies would be the, the culmination of, then then we then there's no choice, and I think that is a complete change in the way that um, in our life experience, in the way that humanity would work. And so, if there was a point at which God would interfere, this has to be it, right? If God, the deity, whatever, <laughs> this this would be it. Um, so it's it's it. There, there's something there too, I think. Well, one of the questions I wanted to ask you earlier and that I find interesting and potentially um, uh, somewhat of a monkey wrench in, in, you know, adherence to individual particular religious faiths is, is the idea of revelation. And, mm. you know, I, first of all, I mean, who knows that every thought and insight and epiphany is not a, a revelation. I mean, where do these things come from? You know, like when, when you have a deep insight, when you have a, a dramatic change in perspective, in perspective, when you have a mystical experience, all of these things, I mean, right. where's, why is that happening and where does it come from? I mean, we're like, yeah. you know, this kind of gets to the um, discussion about consciousness. I mean, our brains receivers or generators, and that's an interesting right. question. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that, but is everything just locked up somewhere inside of you and it's a process of just discovering it within you or... <laughs> Yeah. Do you, do you, are you receiving things and based on how you change your state, your frequency, your awareness, all that kind of stuff, are you able to receive different information and that then informs you and informs your action? I mean, I don't know, but the, the point about revelation in the context of religious faith is like, 
you know, the, the revelation of Moses, let's say, versus the revelation of the Buddha versus the re revelation of so on and so forth all throughout history. I mean, I don't see, um, I don't see a way to fairly distinguish the validity of any of those. Like I, I see different systems of thought emerge from them. And I think there's a lot of great wisdom and insight that comes from them. But again, like if we're like, I, I can't see a means of determining myself or trusting other people to determine that that revelation is more valid than that one. But to your point about what's happening today, and I make the, I make this point again in the, in the article is that, you know, I'm, I'm actually, Mo, I don't want to be disrespectful. So, so we'll say someone like Moses or a revelation in another faith, or even Moses, if you're not, you know, if you'll allow me this for the sake of example, um, yeah, to say that, you know, Moses goes up, on the hill has revelation comes down with these these principles or other people throughout history might have had revelation and then they become a preacher of some kind you know they 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 post up in the town square they preach whatever their thing is maybe it becomes like a dominant thing or maybe they get derided as being crazy and off they go into the sunset um and i like i kind of interpret satoshi's ability to see the a broad enough landscape to bring together the constituent components and then add a bit of his own secret sauce to bitcoin as a type of revelation because again where do ideas and thoughts and insights actually come from and i mean yeah. maybe maybe our ascription or labeling or use of the term revelation is simply a matter of the depth or gravity of any thought you know so when yeah. i say to you like you know uh i figured out a math equation the other day or i'm hungry or, or something something trivial you'd be like well that's yeah. not really revelatory but if i engage the same process but i say something to you that just blows your mind maybe that's closer to revelation and so right. maybe it's a matter of of again degree and not kind and to your point like whatever forces are at play here and we're obviously unaware of many of them yeah. maybe as you say i mean because of the precarious situation we are in as a species the force that 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 characterizes the parameters that our free will acts within maybe occasionally it sends out some nudges and signals of some kind through us yeah. and and maybe yeah. maybe this is the case with satoshi and the revelation that led to the construction of something like Bitcoin. Who knows, right? It's it, I'm obviously just speculating. And then the the yeah. other thing I wanted to mention about just going back prior to your bringing that part up about value and and being oriented by just having consciousness kind of discover the highest value. Mm. This is why I think Bitcoin is so amazing. Is because you I think. The way I see it, or I think a fair way to characterize it is that money is the highest collectively agreed upon value. It's the highest collectively agreed upon judge. It's the thing that judges the value of all other things. And so it's also the means by which we express our values into the collective by and large, mm -hmm. right? Especially when it's beyond our own immediate environment or family or what have you. So right. if, if, our own process of consciousness is determining the highest value, right? Is trying to uh, unite with God or understand God. Mm 
And then we have a means of communicating that to the collective in a way that where there's no lot, you know, data loss for the first time, where that's a, that's a pristine, incorruptible communication of our values to the collective. Mm -hmm. Then that collective apex value, let's say, is, is kind of a representation of the values that we've been able to discover within ourselves. And to the extent that we discover the highest values, to the extent that we discover or unite with or understand God, then that expression is basically a representation of that. And so I, I think this is part of the reason why, again, these uh, systems of, you know, these ways of thinking are converging is because we're, we're, Bitcoin gives us the ability, at least, to express our highest values. And to the extent that we've, are, we're oriented by the best or highest or most valid values and principles, they then are, are able to be externalized and become the thing that most orients the collective rather than just ourselves. And, and presumably, the benefit to be derived from that will be similar to the benefit to be derived from that same process as individuals. And so yeah. we're, we're kind of yeah. externalizing the ultimate judge. We're externalizing the ultimate value. And if, if the assumption that that is the best thing by which to orient ourselves is true, then having that become an externalized thing out into the collective broader world to orient that organization presumably would be the best as well. And that's why it's so exciting because right. it's like, wow, like what if we, what if we can orient ourselves optimally as a as individuals and as a collective what if we can express uh the principles of god out into the world in pristine fidelity and have the order of those principles generate again to borrow a, a term the kingdom of god on earth right, what if that right. is the mechanism to help us do that yeah it's yeah you know uh <laughs> there's there's so much there and it, <laughs> it it boggles the mind i think that um yeah a year or maybe even two years ago i would have thought this notion of revelation when it comes to bitcoin is completely crazy but you know the more that you think about it and the more that you dig into it um it it it's at least i think a a possibility um and it goes back to the point of you know it was bitcoin discovered or was it invented? And and you know people you know take take one side of the fence or the other there. But I, I think you know I, th I think the going going back to, to to kind of the way that I that I look at it and, and the way that I've written about it and the way that I see the Bible pointing is you know the the term the money changers. I first kind of saw it and, and discovered it through the Bible where, you know, in, in the piece, I'm sure you've, you've seen it where basically Jesus goes into the temple and the people who were money changing, he overturns, he overturns the table and tells them that you've turned this holy place into a den of thieves. Um, and that, you know, I think that term money changers was also found in many of, as I'm discovering in many of the Austrian writings and many of, uh, of, of the people who, there, there's this, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, the, there's a, like a three hour documentary on, uh, uh, on the history of money called uh, Masters of Money on YouTube. 
uh, it's, it's worth uh, looking into it. It was made in the 90s, actually, and they call the central banking cartels the money changers throughout. It's, it's like the most repeated, I think, uh, phrase in that, in that entire documentary. But the, the idea that, um, yeah, I, I look at Bitcoin as a tool. And so to me, it is, it is man-made in my mind, um, like the internet, like hammers and paintbrushes and all other tools. Do we invent tools or do we discover them? I mean, the, the the existence of the it was the internet a discovery or an invention, and I mean if you really boil it down to its its you know its fundamentals and it goes you know goes specifically for Bitcoin, it is information. Do we invent information or do we discover it? Right, I mean, you're flowing information through communication channels. What you're doing with Bitcoin or the internet, and where is you know where is the distinction between man-made tool and kind of enlightenment or, or, you know, revelation to, to use the term that you used where all of a sudden you don't have something and all of a sudden then you have it. You could even draw the same parallels to, you know, calculus and algebra, right? There was a point in time where we had no understanding of calculus and algebra as a way to solve complex mathematical um, equations math itself right math math always exists right math, you know math is math numbers are numbers it's fundamental truth but at some point we discover it and so are is math a tool or is it truth what is truth and what where do you draw the line and is it you know and that's why i say i go back to the point of like you know at, at some point i would have called this crazy but now that i'm the more that i think about it the more that it's it's at least in the realm of possibilities, where as we dig through to you know to use to use the the words that you use, as we dig through and we try to find this higher value um, um, purpose or the higher value orientation, um, the more that we discover it, and the more that we reflect it out into the world, and the more that we holistically as humans um, get closer to the truth, um, it's. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. It hurts to think about. <laughs> it's I think I don't know if there's that huge a distinction to draw between discovery or invented. You know, because we're all we, I mean, all of these things are just figuring out ways that make things work in relation to how our minds work and how the material world works. And like we're in a sense we're I mean, I think it's more of an uncovering. It's like when numbers were first invented, you know, they were, they worked because they said, oh, like if we use these abstractions, we can engage more fruitfully in the world. Right. Okay. So we'll continue to use them. And, and the more we, we, we abstract, I mean, the, the, the abstraction ends up revealing itself to us in a sense. Right. And Obviously, we participate in that, which gives it a sense that it's a, a discovery, and, and maybe it's it's not right to characterize it as one or the other. You know, it's this kind of participatory mm -hmm. uncovering of the potential of of existence. You know, maybe that's it, yeah. or a participatory uncovering of the mind of God, as we were saying before. Um, so, yeah, it in in a sense, you know, I think in a sense that the like the difference, at least in my mind, the way that I'm making a distinction in my mind and maybe there isn't a distinction to your point 
the discovery of let's say math to you know to keep it away from bitcoin for a second just to to agree on on kind of the notion math exists whether or not we discover it whereas does it <laughs> where is it where, where is it at in dinosaur land before us i mean i mean define math i mean is, is math calculation or is it numbers i mean the way that the world works where well, well, well that's why you need us that's why you need us because we create the validity of the abstraction we determine the validity yeah. of the abstraction yeah i don't know it it yeah i mean it it depends on how back you want to roll it right there's there was a let's say there was a period of time on on earth where there were no humans i, I don't know if that that's the case but let's say that that's the fact math exists in the natural world whether or not someone is there to discover it it's you know it's the the physical realm the things that we could see and touch and feel those exist and therefore the you know the laws of nature exist and us not being here doesn't you know doesn't negate their existence where and i think that's that's true for math it's kind of a you know a an abstraction of the physical reality of the world. We know what one is because we could point and touch and feel what one is, and it's an abstraction, but it exists in reality. I think the same is true for information. Information exists whether or not we humans, you know, exist. And I think the same is true for, you know, and any anything that is an abstraction of an idea. Um, but then, if you roll it back far enough, you know, did Earth exist at one point? And, you know, and it, and before that it didn't exist, like what, like, what is, what does nothing mean? Like, what is, what is nothing? <laughs> like if there was no, yeah, it, it's crazy, right? If there, if there's not, what is, what is, what is there being nothing mean? And that's, and is that, so is, is everything is an abstraction, right? Is everything coming to existence and therefore it, you know, whether, again, whether or not we exist, does it exist without us? It, I don't know. Right. I mean, well, we're, we're in the territory of the age old, if a tree falls in the woods, right? right exactly. uh, but I think my, my reflexive response is, is that math is a means of interpretation and the validity of the interpretation, I think, infers something more deeply truthful about the world as we've been discussing, right? This is why I don't think there's such a dichotomy between science and the, the, the enterprise of of discovering the highest value or God, because right. I think even though math might just be an interpretive lens for us to engage the world more fruitfully, the fact that it works, I think says something about that structure, not to say that math itself existed without humans, but to say that that, that framework for interpreting and classifying and, and maneuvering through this reality that we're contending with, uh, says something, obviously says something about that reality it, it, because it's tethered to it in some way. And again, right. like I, I, I see the, that this is why it's so, it seems so absurd to me that, you know, the, the religious enterprise is, is uh, dismissed by the hardcore scientist types because it, to me, it's the same thing with a different interpretive framework to try right. to discover a different element of the, the whole or perhaps yeah. the, the ultimate element of the whole. Um, but, you know, again, 
I don't know if we're going to get anywhere uh, speculating on, <laughs> on, on like, you know, where does, uh, you know, where does me, <laughs> what, what, what was, what was pre-existing at the big bang? And are we just kind of like, you know, discovering it all and, you know, what, what, what was the original mind of God and blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's, you know, beyond our pay grade uh, right now, but I just want to go back to uh, one thing is um, when you mentioned the, the money changers, right. In the temple and Jesus turns over the table. I think a lot of people uh, interpret that and have asserted that like Jesus was about sound money, right? So that it couldn't be manipulated or corrupted or intermediated in that way. And just to, to and this is probably going to, again, I don't mean to be blasphemous in any way, but to the point I was making before about how a pristine money signal that can't be corrupted is, is the very reflection of our own values and principles. And if we are indeed connected to values and principles beyond ourselves, and, and, you know, to some sort of divine values and principles, and they're just coming through us, if we have a means of pristine, uh, a pristine means of expressing those into, into the exterior world, then to me, you know, Bitcoin would be better characterized, not as, you know, the money of Christ or, or, or money that Christ would be okay with, but actually Christ in money, the principles of Christ in money, because it's carrying them through us into the outer world with no loss of fidelity or no loss of information of those very values and principles. And again, I mean, that's kind of like insane notion. And, but I think yeah. why there's, why these ideas keep popping up in everyone's minds that are deep in the weeds here, because they're hard to separate. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I completely agree. I think that it, go, it goes back to the point of what is truth, right? And I think that in the study, you know, the study of the universe, the science, right? And everything that we do, and, and as long as we're objectively seeking truth, I think it all ultimately leads back to God, right? And I think there's so many people that discover God in, in different ways, right? Where, you know, there's many, many stories of scientists just kind of exploring and going down rabbit holes of their specific scientific um, field and coming up with the logical and reasonable, you know, conclusion that there had to have been intelligence behind the existence of this flower or DNA or whatever it is. And I, I, I think in discovering Bitcoin and, and creating, inventing, abstracting Bitcoin, we are objectively as humanity, for whatever reason, we're seeking that truth. And I think it goes back to the point about revelation. Like, was it a revelation to Satoshi that he was able to, he, she, them, they, whatever, um, were able to, to come up with what Bitcoin is as just the in, you know, it, basically inevitable conclusion of seeking truth in, in the best way that we can in the most meaningful thing, which is value, right? When How we value things. Was that an inevitable way of discovering truth in value exchange? And I don't think, again, I think going back a year or two, I, I would have called this completely, you know, heretical, but I don't, I don't <laughs> think, I don't think that that's the case. I don't, you know, I think science discovery, objective, truth seeking leads us to God, regardless of what you're, you know, what, who you deem God to be. I think 
that truth is objective and I don't think there's denying that. And I think as long as we are able to seek that truth without clouding our judgments, without, um, without you know, involving bias, the more that we seek that truth, the more that it becomes self-evident. Um, I, I think it, go, it goes back to you know, where, we, where we started the conversation. Bitcoin is, right? The truth is. And we can take a roundabout, roundabout way through many generations of fiat money and, and, and dis, you know, discover, find it that way, or we can seek it and find it right away. I think ultimately all roads lead back to truth over a long enough period of time. Um, and I think the, the reason, you know, tying this back to kind of the higher value and why this matters, right? Because it, you know, uh, you've, you've mentioned this before, and I think the the notion on kind of, you know, Bitcoin Twitter, at least the outspoken notion is that, you know, keep money, you know, keep Bitcoin to money and economics. And I, I think that's so misguided because I think, Ultimately, and, and you mentioned this many times, and I'll try to be as eloquent as, as, as you in describing it, but I think, you know, what we, what we profess, everything that we do and say and see and understand and seek, the way that we um, like formulate concepts about what the world is and how to orient ourselves is, you know, it is inevitably affected by what we view our purpose is and whether we believe in the existence of God or not. You can't have that fundamental question in your head, not at, le- at least a leaning in one direction with, and you orient everything else that you do around that. And so it is so crucial, especially if we, you know, if Bitcoin goes to where we think it is and how the world will orient themselves around that truth. I think it is, of the utmost importance to think about and start to formulate our thoughts around what this is and why things are the way that they are, because the world that we create coming out of the other side of whenever this plays out um, will depend on that, on our view. And I'm so glad to have, you know, to to have this conversation, to see that people are starting to think about that because more important to me of, you know, you know, I don't think personally at this point in my kind of Bitcoin journey, I don't think it's a matter of if Bitcoin is going to continue to exist. It's more about um, the so what, right? So this world that we're going to get into and, and the implications to society and nature and, and what we do is the more important conversation to be having. Um, and, and I think that is ultimately about values and about how we orient ourselves in this world. And, and if we're not having a conversation, if we just completely ignore this, it's almost like an elephant in the room, right? If we completely ignore this, then we can orient our values around Bitcoin all we want, but it's the so what? It's, it's okay, so we have this value exchange that is completely incorruptible, but what are we here for? What are we gonna try to do? What, you know, is it, do we just live life on earth and you know, we get to a point where we have complete you know, general artificial intelligence as Jeff Booth talks about and we don't have to, anything to do with them. And then, then what, right? And if we don't go down the path of seeking truth and seeking discovery and creating good, right? As opposed to just you know, pleasing ourselves and being completely egotistical, that's, that's a scary outcome. Like I don't, I don't think that part of history is written yet. I think the part where Bitcoin becomes the value exchange mechanism for the whole world. That's, that to me is clear. And I don't think it's, I think it's inevitable at this point, but what we do with it, I think that part is, is where we 
really need to start to focus our attention. Yeah, I agree. I agree very much. And I, I think, you know, this is the process of, of determining how to engage this thing. Right. And so I don't, I don't hold it against people, but to your point, when people say like, can we just leave this in the economic or monetary realm? You know, I, I feel like my response to that, I mean, it's such a contradiction because the very reason why you think this thing is valuable and special is because it coheres with values and principles that you hold, exactly. right? The highest values exactly. and principles you hold of, let's say, freedom, individual sovereignty, truth, fairness. The, right. Like the whole reason why you value it at all is because it's communicating with those very principles inside of you. And the question then becomes, where are those principles inside of you coming from? Why are they the most, the, the ones that you hold up more than all others and orient your behavior around? And as a result, why are you, and because of that, you're able to identify them in another object, i.e. Bitcoin, and revere it for that very reason. So you can't yeah. separate it from those, uh, those other domains of in inquiry in terms of those values and principles, where they come from and, and what the validity of them are for orienting yourself. Because you're, 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 explicitly, you're explicitly communicating that you, you value them pretty much more than anything. If you're a hardcore Bitcoin, you know, you're all in Bitcoin, you're saying, oh, these values instantiated in this thing are right. deserving of the utmost of my value and attention. But you're failing to recognize that as for that to happen, they have to already be elevated inside you, like internally. Yeah. And the question is, well, why and how? And, you know, how much of an understanding do you have of that process? And so, yeah. you know, I, I totally agree with you on, on that front. Um, yeah. Sorry, on, I, on that note, I think you just reminded me of something that I, I kind of been floating around my mind that I think is another interesting parallel to all this is the phrase, I will die on this hill, obviously exists before Bitcoin and will, you know, will continue to exist regardless. But the idea that, you know, we believe in this so much, you, I, you know, Jack Mahler's, I think, popularized, popularized the phrase last, uh, last summer, um, but so many, so many other plebs, we say that we will die on this hill. It's because we believe in it so much that the existence of the world and the existence of society and the existence of everything else that we value and hold dear in life outside of outside of that is almost irrelevant right like if i, I don't know you know bitcoin's hope right <laughs> if um preaching to the choir but if if you can imagine the world now without bitcoin and where the world is headed and you know for my two children what the world would look like for them and their children that is so so hopeless and so bleak and so I will die on this hill because I think it is the most important and the highest value thing. And this is no different, I think, you know, in, in, our, in our Christian uh, tradition, in, in, in the Orthodox Church, we have a, a, a big slew of martyrs, people who literally died on that hill. And so you, you can look at Christianity in general and look at all the people who died for Christianity or, or, or for, that, um, for that belief um, and say, what, you know, what makes someone willing to give up their life for a specific set of circumstances and it wouldn't be at the very least regardless of what you think you know of christianity or god existing or not existing it wouldn't be possible if they didn't value it so much that life would be hopeless without it and i think there's something there where you know the idea of dying on this hill of bitcoin and, and, and orienting ourselves to the highest order of truth that exists, both kind of spiritually and in, in the physical realm and, and in the world. I think there's a parallel there too. Well, absolutely. And I, I, to add to that, I think 
the, like you to the point we we're making earlier you that is that's the verification of holding a higher value subordinating yourself to it quote unquote dying to it you know yeah. we do this we do this every day to 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 use a mundane or simple example you say i have an opportunity to lie and it would benefit me in this moment right i would make more money let's say if i i lied in this moment so i could either choose to kill myself to die to the truth right to subordinate myself to the truth to submit my own interest to the truth in this moment because i value that principle more than i value my own like transient or material gain or i could do the other and value the latter and not hold up yeah. that value or truth so the very act of being oriented by certain values as we've been discussing whether it's like a physical martyrdom sort of dying because you're forced into that position or whether yeah. it's saying i'm going to devote my life and work to x cause as many of us have around bitcoin because it's it's so important or again back to the the very process of our consciousness functioning and the reason why i think these narratives and stories that play out in many different domains have a salience to us is because we yeah. realize that every time we act we're deciding what we will basically sacrifice ourselves to i'm going to sacrifice myself to the truth because the truth is more important than my own transient isolated needs you know and uh so that, that this this kind of speaks to how this is all in, interconnected on every single level, right? And it's like a similar process is playing out all the way down and all the way up. Yeah. And again, that that may be may be instructive or revealing of grander truths to know, like Absolutely. when you can perceive that they're playing out on multiple levels, right? Like as above, so below. It's it's that kind of a dynamic. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't have said it better myself. I think it is not by accident that. The, these parallels exist. And I, I, I think that's revealing to your point. The last thing uh, I'll say, and it's, you know, summing up that point and many others we've been discussing. Um, and I think I hope, you know, we, I started by saying this, the reason why I'm so interested in pursuing all this is because, because of everything that we've been discussing. I don't think like, even though we, we see this hopeful future and we see far more peace, far more prosperity, more cooperation, all that stuff that's facilitated by a money that can't be corrupted. Uh, I feel like that's the obvious, you know, first step, first entry point for this. But, I, you know, I, I think we're involved in participating in a, a revolution that's far grander than that. And I don't think we can really derive much clarity or vision around it at this point. I think it'll be more of an emergent realization as it's happening. And so we can only pull on like, you know, minor threads of it, which hopefully, you know, we've done here. Um, but that's what, that, that's what makes this so compelling to me is like, I get the sense that there's something even, and you know, like you probably know I'm as cosmic as it comes in, in terms of like what Bitcoin means and represents. But I think even those among us who are like that are, are, are not able to yeah. see just the, just the, the true uh, phenomenon that's taking place here and how transformative it's going to be. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's the equivalent of, uh, and, a, and a good friend of mine makes, makes this analogy all the time. It's the equivalent of telling someone in the early nineties when the internet kind of became a, uh, a consumer, consumer known um thing where you could tell them in the 90s hey by the way in 20 years you're going to be you know watching movies on this device that you're going to be calling a phone that is in your hand you could watch movies on netflix wherever you go and like that that concept of like 
you know the 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 beginning of what something is and where it ends up and where we take it i think is is it would be like speaking gibberish right in the early 90s to say we're gonna be walking around watching movies on a device that you hold in your hand it's just it's it's unfathomable it would be unfathomable at the time and uh you know i think i think that i think the best way i think i could also kind of summarize what you just said is all roads lead to bitcoin because it's truth i think take it a level higher is all roads lead to truth we can kind of fight and kick and scream along the way and try to go the opposite direction but i think inevitably so long as we're acting in a in a rational human way which is discovery and trying to to make make sense of the world that we live in all roads on a long enough time scale will lead to the truth and, and people who go down that road um by choice, I think, are, are going to discover the truth sooner than others. So. Yeah, well, I agree with that. And it reminds me of my favorite idea or quote or whatever, um, which is the truth shall set you free. I mean, that, that, that resonates with me more so than anything, any words I've ever read. And, and it speaks to uh, what happens when you pursue and more and more closely align with some kind, you know, the, some kind of uh, truth that we're unable to articulate or, or hold in our minds, but like right, right. creeping toward, to your point about all roads lead to it. It's like, it, you know, it's as if you're going with the traffic rather than trying to go against the traffic or, or go, in a, go in a place where there's no roads, you know? And I think that, again, there's, there's not much, um, there's not much useful insight uh, or actionable insight to derive from like, you know, just saying that this is a, a meaningful quote, but for whatever reason uh, it, it has been. And it, it's definitely one that I go back. I think about often because um, I'm, I'm, as I pursue uh, understanding Bitcoin and understanding and, and connecting these, these grander disparate uh, fields and ideas and, and systems, I feel more and more, <laughs> the truth of a quote like that, I feel, you know, you feel the liberation that a greater understanding of, of truth can, can provide. And maybe it's all a delusion. Maybe it's, uh, maybe there's something else going on there, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it for sure. I agree. Ruiz, this has been awesome. And uh, with your uh, approval uh, or consent, I'd love to, I know we didn't necessarily do this to uh, publish on the podcast feed, but I think it was a interesting and useful discussion. So if you're up for it, I'd love to publish it. Yeah, no, please. Uh, I think the more that we could uh, spread the signal and the more that we can get people comfortable at least thinking about these topics, the, the better off we'll be. So yeah, if, if, if you feel that it's uh, it's good, good enough to share, by all means, don't, don't let me hold you back. Awesome. Well, man, I, I appreciate the time and, and the great conversation. Are you going to be in Miami in April? I was about to ask you that. Yeah, I, uh, I plan on getting there Wednesday night. Awesome. So, well, we'll have to hook up and, and continue the conversation then. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Sean. I appreciate your time. All right, brother. Take care. Take care.
Limp, 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 limp,